0: Thanks so much for joining us at Vive Church for our podcast. If you have a story to share about what God's doing in your life or how this ministry has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at mystory@vivechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Oh, let me tell you, God's real and He's in the house today. He's right here in Palo Alto. but He's with you too, San Jose, San Francisco and online. But let me tell you, you're, I know you're looking at me and you're going, she doesn't look like Pastor Adam. That's because he's with our San Francisco campus today, right now. And um, it's okay, he left you in good hands with me. We're going to come around the Word of God today. While you're standing across every campus, who's been loving this Word, the, the, the series that we're in, the church. Let me tell you, the church is the hope of the world The church might be confrontingly human, but God is using it to reach humanity. And let me tell you today, as you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, stay standing in every campus. We're going to honour the Word of God as we read it today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Nudge the person next to you and say, this is going to be good. Oh yeah, this is going to be great. It says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Well, thank you very much. That started off really encouraging, didn't it, today? You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. No, person next to say, that was you. That was you. okay following the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. For our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. But here we see what God did in verse 4. But God so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, this passage just preaches itself. I'm just going to pack up and go home right now. No, It says God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And here, church, vive church, this is what we are today. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Oh, let me tell you, it's gonna be a good word today. Why don't you grab somebody next to you in all campuses? Why don't you take a seat, get your Bibles out, get your notepads out. You can say hi to the person next to you. And while you're getting your notepads out today, let me tell you, I have decided to entitle this message A Hot Mess. I know, it's intriguing, right? You wanna know. What is this all about? So you can write that at the top of your notes, a hot mess. I don't know about you, but I do know that whether you're new to church, whether you're well acquainted to the church, whether you love the church, whether you hate the church, you're going to have some perspectives about the church that I'm hoping I can shift today. I'm hoping that God can give you a bigger perspective of today. But let me tell you, all of us would probably agree on one thing, that the church is crazy right? You step into the church and you realise it's made up of crazy people. That's because you're in it, right? It's because I'm in it. That's why. And you know, and I, I, I know this about the church. I know that I don't understand the way that God works sometimes. I don't understand who He uses or how He uses them. I just know that there's a greater purpose behind what I'm seeing that God is doing. And I trust in that purpose. And so today, as we continue in our series, The Church, that is confrontingly human, I want to touch on that today. I want to pose the question and hopefully answer the question, what is the purpose of the church? Are you ready to go on that journey with me today? What is the purpose of the church? Why don't we pray in all our campuses? Father, I just thank You for the Word that You've given me today. And I thank You that no man and no woman is present by accident. I thank You that Your Word has come to break off perceptions of old and to put a new perspective on things. Lord, I thank You that You're here to help us see the church the way You see it, to love the church the way You love it. Lord, to 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 bless the church as you have called us, us to bless it. So, Father, we just thank you so much for our time together in the word. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so talking about a hot mess today. All right. Do you know what I mean by a hot mess? Okay, so just want to make sure I was being relevant. <laughs> And using it in context, okay? And, so, and so, so I find that I did art at school. Any artists in the house? Okay, we have a few artists here in Palo Alto. Any artists in San Jose and San Francisco? I'm sure there's a lot of artistic people out there. But everybody had to do arts at school, right? So you had to do art history, you had to learn. I remember going on an excursion or what we call a field trip to learn all about art appreciation, now, what I learned at this uh, art appreciation trip is that some artworks are just really hard to appreciate. Do you find that? I mean, just even being in the art class with your other friends in the class is like, I don't appreciate your art, is what I'm thinking in my brain. But, but you know, I, there's some artists that are easy to appreciate. Like, let me tell you, As an artist myself, Michelangelo, the fine artistry, I mean, for his day, was unrivaled. He was the most incredible painter. In fact, he was actually more known for his sculpting than his painting. But I could look at his artworks for ages. I could scrutinise over the details and the fine artistry of what he was producing. Those I considered masterpieces. But then there was this guy called Jackson Pollock. And I I couldn't appreciate his artwork quite as much. There's something about there's something about abstract expressionist movement that produces a thought in my mind that says hot mess. Like like drip painting, when you are getting a paint tan and you are splattering it across a canvas and then you are saying that it has deep meaning and it's really profound, I find hard to relate to. And so I found that, you know, art appreciation is a skill. In fact, it is a life skill. I have learnt to adapt in life, becoming a parent. Any parents in the house here? I know there's parents in the house here because the kids ministry doubles in the 11.30 service. Because right, you 're all sleeping in right and so and so no, I get it. Just getting to church is hard enough with kids okay you 're in a good place right now, but anyway, I, I know as a parent, abstract expressionist art goes to a whole new level of meaning and depth. So when my children come to me and they bring me their little artworks and I'm like, "What the heck is this hot mess that I'm looking at?" and I start to begin to ask them questions. I find that that this little artwork that they have created actually has some some method behind the madness. Yeah. It's like you start to see what they see. You're like, "Actually, this is the most brilliant artwork I think I've ever seen. This is so fridge-worthy. I'm going to put it on the fridge for you right now." You know? And so they have taught me that there can be a method behind the madness of something I don't I don't know or I don't get up front. And you know, that's what Paul is talking about today. He's pr- trying to paint a picture in his letter to the Ephesians of t- to to explain the method behind the madness of what God is doing, putting together the church. Because I know there's some of you who've walked in here today and you're like me, when you look at the church, like I looked at that Jackson Pollock painting, you're thinking this thing's a hot mess. Does God even know what He's doing? Does He know who He's using? And then you go to the Bible and you see all these people in the Bible and you're like, man, this Bible's full of crazy people, messed up people. I mean, He used He uses a tax collector, he uses a prostitute, he uses a, a woman in adultery, he uses fishermen. And these are the kinds of people that he's building his church with. I don't get it. And so Paul's trying to frame this letter for us. He's trying to tell us the mystery that God has been weaving together that is the mystery of the church. And there is some sense behind the seeming madness of it. And I love this about it. I love that Paul is trying to unpack it in a way that we can appreciate the madness. Amen? And so... When we look at this thing called the church, we have to understand that it is God's masterpiece, but the materials that He is using to build the church are people. So I wanted to take a look at a few people today that God chose to put the framework in of His church. The greatest accomplishment that He will ever do on, Earth, on planet Earth is the church. And so I want to take a look at that today. You ready to go on that journey with me? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to take a look at a guy called Abraham. Anybody heard of Abraham before? Yeah, a couple times, right. (laughs) Hopefully. Um, And so... It says this in verse one, the Lord had said to Abram, which he later named Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And then God gives him this promise. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I don't know if your brain can fully fathom that. I don't know if Abraham's brain fully fathomed that at that moment, but all the families on the earth would be blessed through this man. At some point, we are reading this and Abraham hasn't done anything at all. Okay, God chooses him. And in that moment, he's not a man of great faith. He hasn't done anything yet. He's just a guy with a decision to make. Am I going to go out to this unknown land? I'm going to pack up my family, my possessions, and go where God is telling me to go? Or am I going to stay in a place of comfortability right where I am at? He's met with a moment of decision. Not even Abraham in that moment could fathom the scope of his obedience. Not even Abraham in that moment would be able to comprehend what God would do with his obedience when he decided to go on the journey. Let me tell you, the only thing that meant that Abraham was a part of the journey. Let me tell you, he is the beginning of the Jewish nation. Did you know this? That he is the start of it. God said, I want a people that are going to call to myself, Abraham, you're going to be it. Tag, you're it. And that's what's taking place. Abraham gets a blessing. The blessing that he will, he will touch every family on earth comes to fulfilment through Jesus Christ, who came to establish His church. But I want you to notice something right at the very beginning of this picture where the church is beginning to emerge as a part of God's plan that we can look back on and see. But in the moment, was quite ambiguous. In the moment, was a bit of a mystery. In the moment, Abraham had no idea what God was doing. Let me tell you, in that moment, it was God that said, Abraham, I want you to go to that country and I want you to do this. Now I can relate to a guy who has a decision to make. Amen. And so... What happens is and what we get to see in hindsight looking back over the Bible is that he makes the decision to follow Christ. That's the very thing that causes him to be chosen. And the blessing that God is talking about to Abraham is in fact the blessing of Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus Christ coming to do? He's coming to establish the church. So through Jesus, every man on earth, every family on earth is going to be blessed. So we see the fulfilment... Of this amazing passage of scripture. But what I want to draw your attention to is that it was God that spoke it into being. It was God that said, Hey, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go there and I want you to do this. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't Abraham waking up one morning going, oh, I think I'm going to start a religious society today. No. It was God that spoke. God spoke this thing called the church into being. He said, I want a people who I can call my own. And it was a God idea then and it's still a God idea today. It was what He was building then and it is what He is still building today. But you know, I have a lot of questions that and conversations that I have with God because I'm like, God, if you're going to build your church, I mean, build it with good things. Like, you know, the best things. If I'm going to build a masterpiece because I'm an artist, right? I like to paint. And so if I'm going to do an artwork, I'm going to paint it with the best paint. It's going to be the most expensive paint. It's going to be the best brushes. I mean, they are going to be so expensive. The canvas is going to be clean and amazing. And I am going to construct this thing from only perfect pieces. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. So my next question would be, why Abraham? Why did he choose Abraham? Why him? Have you ever questioned the God selection criteria? Like, God, what are you selecting? Like, what's high on your list? What's low on your list? Like, I don't understand your selection criteria. Have you ever asked yourself questions like that? Like, why, God, would you choose them? And then you come to your own conclusions. And then you come to your your own answers. That's the way to get a wrong answer. <laughs> asking yourself i always find this out the hard way if i ask god maybe i'd get the right answer well, that's just that's for somebody i don't know who that's for but i know the assumption can be oh abraham is just a man of faith like he's known as being a great man of faith but right here when he's getting the call he's missed nothing he's not missed a faith yet he hasn't even acted on a call from god and so that throws that criteria out the window. I'm like God, you you're not choosing him because of a talent or a gift that he always already is out working in his life. You know, I I often I freak out when I think about talents, right? Okay, like talent quests They freak me out. I start to like, oh, it's getting hot in here. You know, my children have a talent contest coming up and they like come running home. They're waving the permission slip because they have to try out for this talent show and they're so excited about it. And all I have happening in my mind is recoils of the trauma of my childhood and all the children that laughed at me because I wanted to be a singer, but I just wasn't a singer. And because I wanted to be a dancer, but you know, I was just only a am I good dancer, you know, it's like, you know, so you know what I did, I just decided that I am going to bless my children, my twins are going to have a great upbringing and I hooked them up with my um, youth pastor to choreograph the dance for them and then they have the best, the best costumes and the best music and they're going to be the best thing in that talent show. But let me tell you, Abraham, he wasn't talented at this point. I mean, what was he talented in? Sheep herding? Like real estate? Like honestly, like what was he good at that God could choose him? He had nothing on his resume. He had a whole lot of potential, but it wasn't used yet. You see, what I find is that God just chose him just because God chose him just because he can, just because he wanted to. And the only thing that made Abraham chosen was the fact that he decided to obey the plan and get on board with it. And so he begins to be the beginning of what we see as the church. You see, let me just dispel the idea in your mind right now that you have to be gifted or talented to be used by God. That is rubbish. I used to believe that. God will use anyone, anytime, anywhere. Just watch Him. Just watch Him. You see, He is a great example. Abraham's a brilliant example of how God did the calling. He did the choosing. He did the establishing of the church because He's the one building it. And you know, and then we see Jesus comes into the picture. And when Jesus comes into the picture in the New Testament, He is just an extension of what His Father was doing. He says, I, I, a, fa- a son does nothing without the Father. I only do what I see my Father doing. So every time we see Jesus, we see that He is choosing this person and He's choosing that person. Oh, and I'm gonna choose to have lunch with you today. He, he invites Himself to people's houses and I'm going to choose to wait at this well so that you can draw water so that I can have a conversation with you and that I can begin to bring you into the family. And we see Him choosing, selecting, building, establishing this framework of what will be the church. And you see in Luke chapter 19, why don't you turn there? Because we're, we're going to take a look at a guy named Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus. I don't know whether it is for you. Is it Zacchaeus or is it Zacchaeus? Is it potato, potato, tomato, tomato? Whatever it is, I'm going to probably use both because I can't decide which one is right. So we can just impress everyone with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus. Verse 19, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. Chief tax collector should give something away. He was a really, really good tax collector, which means the people really, really hated him. And so, and so he became very rich. He tried to get a, a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. That's so sad, isn't it? He was too short. I mean, what would God record about me in history? Like aesthetically, I've, I fear that. He, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And I'm just, my imagination just goes crazy when I think about these little short legs trying to get up the tree. <laughs> When Jesus came by, he looked at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus said, Quick, come down. Zacchaeus, he said, Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I told you Jesus invited himself to your house. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. I love that the Bible records they grumbled. And then the next word that we see in verse 8 is meanwhile. Whoa. Isn't it so funny how we grumble about God's selection? But meanwhile, the sinner is being transformed. The sinner is being having an encounter with God. And so... Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. A true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let me tell you, the context of the day is that this man, this tax collector named Zacchaeus, he's actually a Jew. What happened was Jews would sign up to be tax collectors and work for Rome. And so their fellow Jews saw them as traitors. So this crowd, these people around him, rightly so, are upset with the fact that Jesus chose to eat with him. Because Zacchaeus has been a pretty bad guy. I mean, he's taken their money, plundered them to a degree. And they're just like, what the heck, Jesus? Why are you meeting with Him? They're right in their judgment of Him. Yet despite that Zacchaeus was both a traitor and a cheater, Jesus loved him and Jesus chose him. I find this very significant. Why? Why? Their why has a different tone to it this time. Their why has kind of a judgy tone to it. It's like, why God? Why would you choose that kind of guy? And so... I love that Jesus is kind of not afraid of people. He loves God and wants to do the will of God more than he cares about pleasing people, which is so wonderful. And so he says to them something like this, Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. I mean, he's already drawn attention to the fact that they want to separate themselves from him. But he's actually saying, you know, Zacchaeus is your brother. He's a fellow Jew, but more than that, he exercised faith. And if you want to know the criteria by which I choose my family and what I build my church, then you better know that it is faith over heritage. It's faith <laughs> over heritage. And so he begins to put them in their place. Man is only saved by faith. And if you didn't think that the church was already a little bit confrontingly human, now you know for sure. Because because of perceptions like that. And those perceptions still live. They still hang around today. Whether you've been in the church, whether you're new to church, whether you're outside the church, you've probably had the same question that you've asked yourself, why would God use them? I know my family have said that about me. Why would God use you? I mean, could you imagine? I'm like, yeah, I know, you know. Those flawed, those messed up lives. But God chose people like Zacchaeus all the time. Do you know the very person that is writing this passage in Scripture, Ephesians 2, his name is Paul. He used to be Saul and God chose him too. And I just thought that it would be brilliant in looking at the men and women who established the church or God used in the making of the church that we should talk about Paul. We should have a look at him and have a look for a moment at how God chose him. Do you know that with Paul, no person apart from Jesus really had a hand in establishing the church quite like Paul? Nobody even came close. Like he wrote so much, he extended the gospel so much. He was a phenomenal man of God that God used to establish the church. But I want you to know this that Saul was a vehement persecutor of the church. He actually kills the apostle Stephen. Paul Stephen is like persecuted and dies because of Saul. Saul would go in and he had permission to go into regions and kill Christians. He murdered them. He annihilated them because he hated Christianity. He thought it was a, a, a threat to Judaism. And so, so much was he a devout Jew in that respect that he thought he was doing the right thing. And so God used him even in his sin, even in that moment with his persecution of the church, God used him in the way that it forced the church out into all the world. And so we see also that while he's on that side of the fence, then he has this moment where he meets grace himself, where he has a revelation with God, an encounter with God. Let me tell you, you have to have an encounter with God. This Christianity cannot be head knowledge. It can't be theory to you. You're not going to be able to comprehend the wonderfulness and the magnificence of God if it's all up here. It has to be in here and here. You see, because God's real. He's real and He's to be experienced. He is to be someone in relationship with. And so he meets him on the road to Damascus, has a transformation moment. And what we see on the other side of that is that Paul is now the one being persecuted. As he advances the church, he is the one to take it into Rome and into all the world. And yet God chooses him. I mean, can you get your head around that? Why Him? Why would God use somebody that was persecuting the church like that, that hated the church like that? Why would God go around and turn Him? Let me tell you why. Because God doesn't waste an opportunity to show off His grace. Because God doesn't waste an opportunity to show of His grace. Let me tell you, His grace is so powerful. It's not this pretty little thing. Oh, grace, oh, grace is so lovely. I'm gonna be gracious to you today. No, that is not the grace of God. The grace of God has the ability to reach into every area of your weakness, your inability, your part of your life, the grace of God can do that. And so he does that with Paul. He doesn't waste his background. He doesn't waste his training. He doesn't waste his citizenship. He doesn't waste his brilliant mind. He doesn't even waste his weaknesses. In fact, he takes Paul's mess and he turns it into his message. That's how good God is. And so... This is why I love the fact that God chose Paul. Because if God chose Paul, He can choose me. And if He can choose me, then He can choose you just because He's God and He can use anyone. And so I like this about our God. If He can redeem the stuff that He redeemed in Paul, then He can redeem anything that you've walked in here with today. If you're in any campus, I'm talking to you. He says this in Ephesians 3. um, It talks about Paul's message. In verse 8, you should already be there because it was the main text. It says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen, He says. I was chosen. If you can underline that in your Bible, I was chosen. If you can get a revelation that I was chosen, let me tell you, your whole work with God will begin to change. You will be one of the boldest faithful Christians there ever was. Faithful follower of Jesus. If you know that you were chosen, there's nothing he could ask you to do that you'd say no to because you know that you're chosen. To know that, to know that, to know you're chosen is powerful to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God the Creator of all things had kept secret from the beginning. Do you know the blessing that He talked about with Abraham was this very secret? Do you know that the, the church that God was building over time, the prophets, spoke it into being? They spoke that Jesus would come, a Saviour would come. They spoke it into being. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what it was going to look like. And Paul here is revealing the mysterious plan that God had all along from the beginning, which is the church. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom, not His madness, but His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. From Paul's own mouth, I was chosen. Let me tell you that very revelation was probably the turning point in his world that I am chosen. You see, whether Abraham or whether it's Zacchaeus or whether it's Paul, all of these men show us one thing, that they are confrontingly human, just like you and I. Yet God is building His church with them. It was nothing that they did. It was nothing that they didn't do that caused that selection place to take to, thing to take place. God just chose them. And God chose them because of this butt God element. Can I talk to you about the butt guard element? I don't think you're ready for the butt guard element. Because the butt guard element's gonna kick your butt, okay? The butt guard element's gonna change your life. Are you ready for it, San Jose? Are you ready for it, San Francisco? Palo Alto, you're too quiet for me. Thank you. So the butt guard element is this. Because we take our failures. And we take our frailties and we take our fears and we bring them to God and we say, Oh, but God, you don't know my limitations. Oh, but God, you don't know what I said. Oh, but God, you don't know what I did. Oh, but God, you don't know what how afraid I am of that. Oh, but God, you don't know my spouse. Oh, but God, have you met my boss? Oh, but God, have you seen my children? Oh, but God, and we have all these excuses, don't we? We have all these buts that we shove in the face of God. You know, and we're like, but God, but God. And while we're in that state of whinging and whining and complaining, and let me tell you, I've been there. Please, God, don't use me. But God, I've got this and but God, I've got that. And but God, use anybody else but me. You know, you know, you've been quiet because you can relate to this right now. And in that moment, you know, I feel like God is just entertained. You know, He's like, but you don't know that I know because I'm omnipresent and I'm omniscient. And I know every thought that you have. And I know everywhere that you've been. And I know every conversation that you've had. And I know all of this already. So He's just entertained. And He just looks at me and He's just like says something that every woman really wants to hear. Kira, I know that your butt is big, but my butt is bigger than your butt. And so he brings his butt into the equation because he's way better. His butt is way better and way bigger than my butt, which is so awesome. It's so wonderful. Let me explain this to you. Let me unpack it for you. In verse 4, it says, But God, so rich in mercy, but God loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus so god can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace let me tell you i could be a good example of his grace i could be a good example of his kindness abraham we get to look back on abraham but for us in future ages we look back and we see what a great man of faith he was but Somebody else is going to be down the track here and they're going to look back and see how great your faith was and how great the goodness of God was. If your faith wasn't great, at least God's faith was great for you and He used you anyway. And, he, and he, His grace is going to be magnified in that moment. But let me tell you, His kindness towards us has shown in all of us uh, by what He has done to us who are united with Christ Jesus. His butt will always be bigger than your butt. Let me tell you, his butt will always be bigger. His His mercy will be bigger than your shame. His love will be bigger than your rebellion. His mercy will be greater than your sin. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. His mercy is so great that it will reach into your world and transform your life, just like it did with Paul it's always bigger. You see, grace is a revelation. Grace is transformation. Grace is a person and it's Jesus. And if you don't learn to let grace rule your life, you won't let grace rule your relationships. I know you might have missed that. If you don't let grace rule your life. You won't let grace rule your relationships. It's going to be the very filter, the very stoppage, the very thing that hurts you when you look at the church, when you look at people around you, when you come and you try and connect in the church. It's going to be the very thing because you're going to be having those judgy eyes on everybody it's a transformation. If God has transformed your life with this powerful thing called grace, then you'll have an appreciation and you'll have a belief that God can change somebody else's life because He did it with you. And you see, if we don't have that revelation, we're just going to go on putting our butts in, other, in God's face, right? You know, we're like, but God, don't use them. Because don't you know what they've done? Oh, but God, don't use that person. I mean, like, God, what are you doing? And God's like, keep your butt to yourself. I got this. I know what I'm doing. I know how to use this person. He doesn't want us to have narrow-minded vision and focus and to minimize the church and its capacity because it's like become this thing where you have to be perfect to be in it. That's not the church God's building. You can lose sight in that moment, just like the crowd did with Zacchaeus of what was really taking place. Do you know what God was doing in that moment, what Jesus was doing in that moment? Jesus was inviting a man to sit at his table so that his life could be transformed, so that he could bring him into the family. Jesus was building the church, people. He was building the church and they missed it because they were so worried about his sin. You see, How do we shift our eyes from seeing the church as a hot mess to the masterpiece that it is? Let me help you with this today. Because sometimes we see the church through the filter of the up-close floors of those around us, right? We see the church through the filter of my spouse, or we see the, the church through the filter, let me be real, of our teammates. Or we see the church uh, church through the filter of my limitations and and the things that are confronting for me. There's a slide that I want to put up for you that shows some Great people in our church, they're just people, right? But like the beginning of Ephesians talked about it, it said that, hey, we're all sinners. We all fall short. We've all got stuff in our lives that are messy, a bit of a hot mess at times. And God's saying, don't look at the church from that perspective, Don't look at the church like up close like that because you're gonna get a distorted view. You're not gonna see it the way that it's meant to be seen. I want you to see it from my perspective. Do you know in Ephesians 2.10, it gives us God's perspective. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. You see, as you begin to zoom in, out, you begin to see that we are God's masterpiece. There are so many lives attached to this. It's not just your life. It's your life and my life and that person and this person and that person from over there. And God is wanting us to get a bigger perspective of this masterpiece that He is creating. It's called the church. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about Vive Church, for service times and locations, or if you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit us at vivechurch.org.